1: It's about culture now. It's like you're thumbing your nose at the process. Part of politics and part of sports and part of gaming. And it's not just the future of money anymore.
0: As they push the conversation further with their own criticisms and reactions to the latest Bitcoin and crypto news from around the world. It believes crypto is bad and it wants it out.
1: I'm even old enough to remember when Microsoft was a kind of cool company. Ben, you're old enough to remember when telegrams came over a wire under the sea.
2: <laughs> and just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice.
1: Hello, and welcome to the final episode of the Opinionated Podcast with me, Danny Nelson, your longtime first-time host, and Anna Bidakova. We're recorded today looking back on the history of the Opinionated Show without one of our esteemed co-hosts, Ben Schiller, who couldn't make it this week. Anna and I, however, are in different parts of the world trying to look back on this wonderful journey we've had. Anna, where are you right now?
0: I'm in Paris. I'm like in a soundproof booth of a co-working space and on my way to Lisbon for the Web Summit.
1: Yeah, I'm also in a co-working booth somewhere in the city of London, also somewhat on my way to Lisbon for Web Summit and associated crypto events.
0: So we're both basically lost in space somewhere on our way to Lisbon.
1: Exactly. And we have been lost in space together for over a year now, looking through this wild world of crypto. And today for our final episode, we wanted to track the history of ourselves and of the space with a selection of our greatest hits. And I think it's a good place to start this conversation off is perhaps the most important token in all of crypto. And that is Dogecoin the one true meme coin, my personal favorite. I've never touched the stuff. I've thought very little about it. But one of the very few times that I have written about Dogecoin was in April 2021 when I had my most read article ever, 500,000 hits in 24 hours. I think it pumped the price of Doge twofold. It was about how Slim Jim, the meat stick company, had a Dogecoin strategy and That was a completely different environment than the one we're in now. Dogecoin was barreling up to having all-time highs around 70 cents. Now we're down here at about 9, 10 cents a coin. Anna, what do you think about Dogecoin and what we can learn about the crypto market from these barreling heights to the lows of today?
0: I mean, isn't it funny that the articles that take the least effort are often the most rated, right? <laughs> like the most popular. Oh,
1: absolutely. And
0: then you're like, people, what, what's wrong? Like, this is basically nothing. Why are you so excited about this stuff? Yeah, I mean, Dogecoin, as much as I hate this topic for its hypiness, but I must admit that it's kind of symptomatic, right? Of the whole market. It's just the whole story with Dogecoin has been so a great demonstration of how the market works. You have some celebrity, it was Elon Musk in this case, that tweets something, some coin, without even, you know, giving it a great amount of thought. Everybody piling up, price goes up, you know, then after, after a brief period of hype, it turns out that there is not much out there for this coin, for this technology, for, for the project at all. And then the hype goes down and the price goes back down. And people who have been talking all this time that how meaningful that is, how transformative for the world this coin is, they're like nowhere to be found. You have no idea where all these influencers go. So, yeah, sad but true. Dogecoin has been kind of a test for how the market behaves.
1: And, you know, Dogecoin still moves with Elon, as many things do. And I think I agree with you. It is symptomatic of a wider problem, I would say, in crypto. And that's all these different assets are tethered to the whims of celebrities. One good example of that today to show how this market really hasn't changed. Andrew Thurman, a former writer at he now works at Nansen. He tweeted that Elon Musk responded to an academic article about the portrayal of male genitalian art with a dick butt, sending the price of crypto dick butts, which is a collection of NFTs, soaring 50% and volumes up 4,000%. So Elon hasn't even said, I own X. Elon has alluded to a thing that people invested in crypto. And just because of that, people are throwing money at it. And this thing is soaring and volumes up 4,000% because people are just trading because they see an opportunity, a speculative play, and they're doing it. And in that way, crypto really hasn't changed at all from April, 2021 we're just seeing different manifestations of this trend. So I'm not so happy about what this means for the whole industry.
0: Because we are all here for the technology, right?
1: (laughs) We're all here for the technology. Quote,
0: unquote, for the technology. Yeah. And
1: you know, there are two important pieces of this puzzle. There's the technology and the infrastructure behind it. There's also the infrastructure that goes into the government. And Anna, I think that's a good place for you to tell us about our second topic in this history of crypto unopinionated.
0: So one of the big topics actually when we started with this podcast was the infrastructure bill in the US and there has been a lot of discussion around that a lot of worries about the fact that the infrastructure bill mentioned crypto and it also obliged the so-called brokers in the crypto field to you know report what they are and report what they're earning and be subject to the regulations that are more similar to the traditional financial sphere, right? And the crypto has been worried that crypto miners and validators of of proof-of-stake networks will also be considered brokers and Mm -hmm. obliged to follow very cumbersome regulations and procedures that will be very unfitting for the crypto industry. And (laughs) it's funny that actually we're now one and a half year away from that. And that broker part of the infrastructure bill hasn't been clarified yet. So this has been going on. And I think we can say that, you know, things haven't changed for many things in crypto regulations. Actually, you know, the SSC versus Ripple lawsuit is still going, right? There are certain other things that still have to be decided. Now the agenda kind of shifted towards stable coins Mm -hmm. are in the middle of everyone's attention, right? I wonder what's your observation about this field?
1: Yeah, this issue that started in August 2021 really speaks to the fundamental problem that crypto has in integrating itself with the world. You can't just have this system on its own. It needs to play by the rules or the rules need to adapt to it. And those rules are the lawmakers. And crypto people have a much different vision of how things should be than governments and also a big fear that those governments are going to misinterpret or not understand the technology and apply the old rules in such a way that it's going to crush the new things. And whether or not they're fully justified in their fears is a topic of debate. But crypto companies of all stripes are pushing harder than ever now for lawmakers to listen to them. And I think that's really one of the most important takeaways of the infrastructure bill debacle. You had all these lawmakers proposing laws that the crypto lobby thinks they don't understand. And the result of it now is millions and millions of dollars from crypto companies going to political candidates and going to lobbying companies because they're trying to avoid having this outcome again. They want to get their foot in the door early, be more participatory in the run-up to the deciding of who's in power. And then they're hoping, because of that, to have more influence on the system. So the most important part of the infrastructure bill, in my opinion, isn't the specific wording and the lack of clarity that was brought to a very specific issue about wallets. It's what it caused the industry to do and how it has adapted and changed to the current situation.
0: So well, I agree that probably the involvement of the crypto industry in the politics, right, in what's happening in the government has been growing with time. So that, I think, definitely changed. And, you know, the industry is gradually learning how to engage with lawmakers, how to engage with state bureaucrats, how to explain to them what crypto is and what you need to know about it, which, which I think is great. And maybe, you know, maybe the the crypto industry is also learning how to, you know, self-organize and coordinate itself better in this regard. And this is actually a good way to start talking about uh, (laughs) about our following important topic from 2021, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. Talking about crypto groups coming together, organizing themselves around some idea, in the legal space, last year, at the end of last year, right at the heart of the bull market, right before the big crash, we saw ConstitutionDAO. constitution DAO, this effort that really started just as a meme. What if we crowdfund a bunch of crypto and buy a copy of the US constitution for around $40 million at auction? That took hold. And in the span of a week, you had these degenerates coming together, raising all this money, going to an auction house, putting up the money, making the bids, And then losing to Ken Griffin of Citadel, the big baddie Darth Vader figure of the moment, the man who killed the meme stocks, the one who is murdering Robin Hood, the big bad werewolf of retail finance. And it's worth thinking about where that's left the wider DAO movement and efforts of organizing crypto governance. Because while Constitution DAO was one of those moments that reached the wider world, everyone was reporting on it. The BBC, the New York Times, everyone had a story about this crypto club that was trying to buy a thing and make their name for itself. Where are we now with crypto governance? Anna, have you given much thought to what DAOs can accomplish and where they've come from the heady days of Constitution DAO?
0: Well, honestly, from what I've been observing in the industry, my opinion of the the state of crypto DAOs has been the same over the last month. That I haven't seen a success story for a crypto DAO yet, for something that would really justify the whole thing and show everyone, okay, you see, this is what is this for? And the Constitution DAO was kind of, you know, the the definition of a useless DAO, right? Like, I mean, the goal it was pursuing wasn't really justifying the technical means that are required to actually create a working, decentralized, functioning mm-hmm. DAO. So, so yeah, I think this technology is promising, but at the same time, it's very complex. And it's going to take the industry a couple more iterations, probably, before we arrive at the version of crypto DAO with a clear purpose with um, executable means of decentralized governance.
1: And we should say for the audience, a DAO, the literal meaning of a DAO is a decentralized autonomous organization. What that means in practice is you can think of it as a crypto club where everyone has tokens and they vote on what the club does with presumably a treasury of tokens with their votes. So if I have more tokens, I have more votes. I can push something through. If Anna has fewer, her opinion matters less. And there are very few DAOs that I've seen that really actually accomplish the decentralized and autonomous parts of the DAO. They are organizations and a lot of times they have leadership and the amount of control that is given to the token holders is minimal. And Constitution DAO was one of those efforts because the DAO was never actually going to give the community authority over the document. Part of the reason why is regulation. But it became just a marketing gimmick, in my opinion, because it was fashionable to be a DAO. You can raise $40 million in a week by putting a crypto buzzword at the end of your thing. And that's really troubling to me. Anna, what about you?
0: Yeah, and in the sense that Constitution DAO was kind of not really transparent about the mechanics of using the tokens, of distribution tokens, of turning one token into another and whatnot, they were kind of an example that many DAOs that we know are not really decentralized, right? If, If it's not transparent, if everybody cannot control what's going on, then it means that someone is in control, right? There is some leadership that is driving the things under the hood, And this is maybe the reason that the regulators are actually tend, at least in the U.S., tend to treat DAOs as, you know, traditional centralized entities. And the recent lawsuit to the UKI DAO is an example of that. So basically, these regulators refuse to acknowledge that, oh, it's decentralized and that, like, we have no power over it. They're saying, guys, you're just using this fancy formula to disguise a pretty centralized organization can like get away with securities sale, right?
1: Yeah. And, And at the very least, from the mere existence of that lawsuit, we can understand that the government disagrees with the central premise of the DAO, that being by telling people that the entity has distributed itself among many people, it becomes immune from legal attacks. Well, that much is proven false. Right here, because the government has said that it's not immune. Even regardless of the outcome of the case, it is not immune to legal questioning. And I think that's a very important lesson that all of crypto needs to take from DAOs as a whole in this moment. And, and so Anna, with that whole idea of the Constitution DAO and understanding what the potential for what in my opinion is a bastardization and a malpractice in crypto marketing I think we can move on to see an instance where crypto actually is doing some good for the world in getting back to basics, that pure form of getting money around places where it's not able to in other forms. Tell us about the war in Ukraine, Anna.
0: Oh, yeah, that's a good point, actually, to move to something really decentralized and autonomous, right? And, And by that, I mean the crypto movement in Ukraine and how it played out during the war, unfortunately, has been going on since March and is an absolutely horrendous and tragic event. Not the major part of it, but somehow important part of it was that, you know, it kind of demonstrated that for me, at least, right, from my standpoint, it demonstrated what actual value this crypto technology can bring into this world, right, how it can affect the everyday lives of people. Right, that it really can serve as a form of borderless money because the crypto fundraise that Ukrainian government has been running and that various uh, Ukrainian humanitarian NGOs have been running has been a real success story. They raised, I think, by now it's over 150 million dollars in various cryptos, which is absolutely unprecedented and, and historic. We saw in this war we saw that crypto is an actual money tool is the actual money transferring tool and it's been used by Ukraine by Ukrainian activists and volunteers as well as by Russian militants helping the Russian army invade in Ukraine and there has been so many things happening related to that i've been watching it kind of closely it's been kind of a personal story for me because i'm from russia but i wonder you know kind of from the distance from the outside what has been the most interesting, you know, maybe the, the most revealing parts of that crypto and war story for you?
1: Yeah, and I've, I think I, I fully agree with you. This has actually been a, for the war is a, a, obviously a huge negative, but in terms of showing what the possibility is for how crypto can be used in a way that is beneficial I think it's a clearer example than really anything we've seen in the recent crypto history, which is to say almost no time at all because crypto has only been around for like a week. But, you know, you have a government saying we need to raise money from a lot of people as fast as we can in any way we can. If they wanted to send us a wire transfer, that would be, it's a non-starter. I don't even know how to do that to a government. But if they just put a crypto wallet address out there, anyone with crypto can just send it to them. That's it. You press the button, it's done. It's a peer-to-peer electronic cash system. That's right from the white paper. That's the whole idea. That's really, really cool. And I've also gotten to understand more how the Ukrainian government was able to take that crypto and turn it into dollars. And just hearing those stories, understanding how different parts of this industry can work together to accomplish a goal is really impressive and profound and showcases the power of this technology when you don't layer it in many, many different variations and, and DAOs and NFTs and crypto dickbuts, all of that, it just feels like froth when you realize that you can actually use this stuff to move money quickly without concern for anything.
0: Yeah. And by the way, a lot of NFTs has been donated to Ukraine. I think they, they got disposed of them and turned it into cash as well. But you know, if, if you look at the Official crypto wallets of the Ukrainian government, for example. There is like a ton of weirdest NFTs donated to that. But by the way, to be fair, the fiat fundraising has been, has been used a lot too. And you can't send a wire transfer to support the Ukrainian army or the humanitarian funds or whatnot. But um, the fundraisers, at least the non-governmental fundraisers in, in Ukraine, told me that bank card transfers has been kind of problematic. Because many banks would not send transactions like that because, well, either they have Ukraine as a risky jurisdiction in their, you know, regulation tech, or they're just, you know, the the financial rails are not greased enough between these two countries. And so the fiat transaction would, in quite a considerable share of cases, fail, while crypto just goes smoothly.
1: Oh, yeah. And you don't with crypto, you don't have to worry about the card issuer and the acquirer and the 15 different other intermediaries that help get the money from a card payment go from you to the merchant or the recipient. With crypto, I have a wallet, you have a wallet, we both have an internet connection. Boom, that's it. You don't need anything else. Yeah. And that's quite magical.
0: Yeah, well, that is no doubt very exciting. One kind of more controversial thing that has been happening has been sanctions and blacklisting. So the sanctions is this interesting tool, right, that, that is supposed to work well and cut the, the wrongdoing part from financial flaws. But then there is so many flaws in the mechanics that you end up seeing people affected who had nothing to do with the initial trouble. For example, there has been like the Ukrainian government has been quite efficient in catching and blacklisting various fundraisers on the Russian side that were using crypto to fund military activities of Russia, and they got actually blacklisted, you know, like on Binance or wherever they used their wallets. But then an absolutely catastrophic thing, in my personal view, happened when in the newest round of sanction, the European Commission adopted a full ban on serving Russian citizens in crypto industry in the eu which immediately was followed by the closures of accounts of russian citizens by local bitcoins or crypto.com uh, and, and whatnot and actually i think kraken was the latest one to say that yeah the, the russian citizens are not going to use our platform anymore which like from the very 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 high bird eye view is maybe understandable but when you start thinking of it you know, like, neither Putin nor his accomplices are not keeping their money on Binance or, like, local Bitcoins. When you ban indiscriminately Russian users, you are hurting not the people who are funding this war. You are affecting people who are either running from this war, from Russia, and need crypto as the remittance tool of last resort. Or you're hurting the NGOs who are trying to help the refugees and can be also Russian citizens as well. And, you know, you're just uh, hurting all the kinds of small crypto guys, while, by the way, Europe is still playing a role in the Russian oil trade.
1: So the punishment is misplaced, basically. This is a huge hammer that's coming down. I think so. So what's the solution for crypto users? Like, is there one? Because the reason why this issue has even come about is because of the reliance on centralized entities as the on-ramps, off-ramps, interaction points for crypto. Is there a way for crypto to exist at scale without these things? Because that might be the only solution.
0: You mean the centralized entities are the solution? or
1: Like, you know, we go back to the caveman days of Bitcoin. You have Bitcoin, I have Bitcoin, let's make a deal. In that world, you don't need a Kraken. Yeah. But that world is also cumbersome and difficult and really hard to navigate. But it's also the most pure form. So I don't know, there's a lot of philosophical discussions to be had about what this means for crypto more broadly.
0: Well, the peer-to-peer market, you know, the so-called gray market, black market, where there are unlicensed brokers, you purely rely on trust when you deal with them, it will exist, right? It's, it's not going anywhere. But when you don't have access to institutionalized, licensed tools that makes users vulnerable and maybe that would be good for the proliferation of radical crypto anarchism and the disillusionment of the regulated crypto industry, but we're still going to see where it goes.
1: Anna, this past year has been a crazy one for crypto. We see the market go up, market go down. We've seen societies crumble, go to war seeing how crypto plays into all these different narratives that we really never thought it would in good ways and bad where are we going from here what are you looking out for in the next six months to a year about where crypto is going to be let's hear some unmitigated predictions that will later be proven wrong just for the sake of trying
0: well you know pulling the thread from from the previous topic I do hope that there will be more popularity for the peer-to-peer market and more tools for confidential privacy-keeping way of using crypto. And that technology is, you know, it's kind of developing in parallel with all the regulation advances. So I think that half-anonymous and regulated peer-to-peer part of crypto will get sophisticated and, you know, it will keep competing with the regulators of the world that are trying to uh, limit it and restrict it.
1: So the back to basics approach, if you will, building out that baseline end user experience for it, just interacting with other end users. How do we make crypto work in a very pure, useful way that is separate from the entities that got us into this mess in the first place?
0: I would definitely love to see more of that. And I hope to see more of that. Whatever people will do, let's see.
1: Yeah, and on a similar note, I'm also excited for what I hope to be a long and cold crypto winter. I think that this is a good opportunity for projects of all stripes to analyze what their value proposition is and see if they really are doing anything good in their perception of the word good that is new and different because if they're not, then they're not going to survive a down market forever. And I think that it doesn't serve anyone well when we're trying to build all these pure revolutionary technologies in the height of a bull. So if we've got a cold and long winter, I think this is the opportunity for crypto to figure out what it means. And I'm looking forward to that.
0: Let's hope that crypto builders think the same. And I think many of them do. So good luck to everyone who's building in this winter. Stay strong.
1: Yes. Stay strong. Get some blankets and buckle up.
0: (laughs) Get some hot tea.
1: Get some hot tea. Anyway, yeah. So I think that's a good place to wrap the show and the series. Anna, we've had such a good run. Thank you all for listening.
0: Yeah, thank you, guys. It was fun.
1: Yeah, it was fun. It will be fun. Keep listening to Coindesk. We're, you haven't heard the last from us. We'll, we'll be back. Just you wait. We just got to go get some blankets first.
0: See you all, people. <laughs> Keep building. Stay strong. So Ben here. I just wanted to say a quick announcement. This is the 73rd and last
1: show of the Opinionated Podcast, and I just wanted to say as the chief co-host here that it's been thoroughly enjoyable to work on this, and I want to thank all our guests and, of course, co-hosts Danny Nelson and Anna Bedakova. We'll be launching a new podcast in December called Carpe Consensus,
0: and we'll have a new lineup of hosts and a fresh format, and we're excited about it and look forward to sharing it with you, our dear listeners. So see you soon at the end of the rabbit hole, and have a good week. Bye. Bye.
1: And now, a teaser from Coindesk's
2: newest podcast, Women Who Web 3. Welcome to Coindesk's Women Who Web 3 podcast, your weekly podcast celebrating women supporting women, investing in women, and bridging the gender gap and wealth through Web 3. Each week, we'll be learning from powerful women, sharing their insights on topics like creating belonging and inclusivity in the digital spaces, the metaverse, building prosperous Web 3 projects, investing in cryptocurrencies and building wealth. And we have how-to's from founders and builders who have been there and done that, healing sessions to give you the power to overcome imposter syndrome and everything you need to level up in your crypto journey. At the end of each podcast, stick around for some zen with a relaxing meditation to center you after absorbing all the stories and the knowledge. I'm your host Cams and I'm on a mission to empower women across the globe to unlock the unlimited potential and earning power inside themselves through Web3. Whether you're just crypto curious or a crypto connoisseur, this podcast is for you. Let's get it.
0: You've been listening to Opinionated with Ben Schiller, Anna Batakova, and Danny Nelson. This episode has been produced and edited by Eleanor Paul with announcements by Michelle Mousseau.
2: If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Please reach out to us at podcast at coindesk.com, subject line, Opinionated. or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening.